It's in two parts. The references are up on the screen in front of you. The first part is from the New Testament, and the second part is from the Psalms. So I'll give you a moment to perhaps turn that up if you would like to. Firstly, reading from Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 6, and then in due course from Psalm 73. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people... are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And then turning to Psalm 73... Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, they are free from common human burdens, they are not plagued by human ills, therefore pride is their necklace, they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, it was senseless. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. 
yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to this reading from Holy Scripture. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Thanks very much, Hilton, for, for reading that for us. Um, if you've missed the, the gardening metaphors since um, Jeff, our previous pastor, left, then I'm sure you'll be enjoying this series in August on the, the parable of the sower. I'm afraid there's no tomatoes or plums this morning and uh, no sweets, I'm afraid, either. Instead, just weeds. Because I want to encourage us this morning all to be dandelions. And I'll tell you why later. Last week, Mark illustrated how um, the farmer scatters seed by, by scattering sweets all over the church. What he was doing was illustrating how the seed, when it is scattered, falls in different places on different types of soil. And it's a metaphor for the gospel being proclaimed. As the gospel goes out, it is heard by different people, and they respond to it in different ways, according to where their hearts are at. Well, last week we looked in Mark 4 at the snatched seed, the seed that falls on the path and is quickly eaten by birds. That represents those who hear the word, but before it's had a chance to, to sink down in their hearts, it's been snatched away by Satan. It's like he's, he's blocked our minds. And there's something about the, the, maybe the preacher or the language he uses or the message itself which we find objectionable. There's no acknowledgement in the hearer of a need for forgiveness, um, no value attached to the death of Christ. As Paul said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They've been blinded from seeing the glory of God. And it was a warning, not just to those who've had the word snatched away, but to all of us in our ongoing relationship with Jesus, that we keep on listening to him so that the word can impact us more and more deeply, that we come prepared so the word is not snatched away. Well, this week we're looking at the sea that falls on rocky ground, where there's not much soil. And we're told that in this case it does spring up quickly because the soil was shallow. So we do have a little uh, illustration from the garden. Here we are. Something that has sprung up very quickly. But of course, it's not going to last long, because if you look down below, what does it have below the surface? A very short root. That is not going to hold it in place for very long when the sun scorches it, when there's no water, when the winds come. We'll put it in the arrangement there, but I don't think it will really... Uh, Okay, so we'll, uh, we'll um, put that down there for now, I think. 
Later on in verse 16 of Mark 4, if you keep that open, uh, we're going to turn to Psalm 73 in a minute, but um, keep Mark 4 open, because there we have the explanation for what this soil is meant to represent. Look at verse 16. It says there are others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. In this case, the person who hears the gospel has no problem understanding it, responding to it. And it does start to change the person. There's an immediate response. But it doesn't last long. They quickly fall away. And the reason given is because of trouble or persecution. So in case we think that Satan only works by stopping people hearing, stopping people understanding, this is another tactic he uses. He doesn't give up when people accept the gospel. He continues to attack them, but he uses his different means. He makes sure the gospel doesn't take root by making their life difficult, and to make them fall for the lie that actually following Jesus is just not really worth it. And that's why we always need to be on our guard, but particularly pray for those who are new to the faith. And to see an example of this, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians um, in the New Testament, the book that we looked at um, in Sunday evenings um, last, uh, last term. If we turn to chapter 1 of uh, 1 Thessalonians and verse 6, here we see that the Thessalonians, they actually welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So like in Mark 4, they heard the gospel message of forgiveness for those who, who trust in Jesus. They welcomed it. They welcomed it with joy. But before Paul, Silas, and Timothy were able to disciple the new believers and help them put down roots, they were forced to leave. And in chapter 2, verse 18, we, we're told there that um, we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. And in chapter 3, he says in verse 4, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. Paul is not naive about the spiritual attack that young Christians will come under. He knew the tempter Satan would be trying to tempt them away from trusting in Jesus. So how do we protect ourselves from these attacks? Because let's not kid ourselves. If we've been Christians for a long time, we're not immune to attack. Remember the great storm of uh, 1987? Great, strong oak trees uh, like the one you see on the picture coming up, which she thought could withstand anything, were uprooted. Famously, the town of Seven Oaks lost six of its famous oak trees in that storm and was subsequently renamed One Oak. How do we protect ourselves and others from falling away, from Satan pulling up those roots? Well, let's turn to 
Psalm 73, which Hilton read for us. This is written by a person we're told called Asaph, who's opening up his heart about his struggles. And through these struggles, he's learned some important lessons which will help us as we think about how we can withstand the attacks of Satan and put down roots. And the first lesson is to be prepared for troubles. Be prepared for troubles. When David McKeo was um, with us recently, he said one of the most um, dangerous teachings that people get in the churches where he comes from in northern India is the so-called prosperity gospel, which put simply as if you follow Jesus, then you will expect physical and material blessings to follow. Now, to those who feel trapped in material poverty, that is quite attractive, isn't it? But it's not what the gospel is all about. Nowhere does Jesus promise his disciples an easy life. He actually said, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. In Mark 4, it says, not if, it says, when trouble or persecution comes. Being a Christian is not going to be an easy life, but it will be a blessed one, as we will see. The thing is, even if we know that well, we shouldn't expect any extra material rewards for being a Christian, there is a temptation, I think, isn't there, for all of us to think, well, at least we shouldn't really be, be worse off than those who don't follow Jesus. Surely if we follow him, he will protect us from, from trouble. And as we look at Psalm 73, we see those are the thoughts of Asaph. He was expecting something more for his obedience and his godly living. And it was that false expectation that made him nearly lose his faith. He felt he was making sacrifices and he wasn't seeing anything for his efforts. And he was there really questioning, was this really worth it? Was it really worth it? He's very honest. If you look at the first verse of Psalm 73 with his expectation, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. By Israel, he has meant God's people. Surely God is good to God's people. But as for me, he says, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Picture the scene, a rock climber here, um, without ropes, tentatively putting his foot onto the next foothold, which the guys are going to be doing in Wales uh, next week, I think. Um, but just as he's about to put his whole weight, he realizes it's loose, it's crumbling. That it's going to give away. And if he does put his whole weight on it, he will fall like a stone to the bottom of the mountain. What is that loose stone? What is it could make him lose his faith? What he carries on, let's see how it carries on. For I envied the arrogance when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their, their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens, they are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity, their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them 
and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? What Asaph here is envying is the fact that those who are not God's people do not appear to have any troubles. Instead, they're full of pride and arrogance and malice. They scoff, they mock. Literally, their, their, their tongue struts through the earth, swaggers. How would God know they are cynically? I'm doing all right without him, thank you very much. And some countries to become a Christian means you will face extreme persecution. And that may very quickly make you lose your faith. Even just the fear of the consequences may make it hard for many to become a Christian. But I guess in our society, what we're more likely to, to experience is more what Asaph, Asaph was facing here. The mockery, the undermining of what we believe. If you go on YouTube, you'll find loads of videos of uh, comedians who will be mocking uh, Christianity. I watched one recently of Ricky Gervais reading the, the beginning of, of the Bible. And he is a funny guy. People find it funny. As it says here, their people turn to them. They drink up waters in abundance. People laugh, they lap it up because they don't want what the Bible says to be true. Because if it is true, they know that um, they can't carry on leading their lives the way they are at the moment. They're the way they want to. And I think often the hardest thing for us if we're Christians here this morning is that people often are not interested in finding out what we believe. They've made up their own minds already. And if you continually make something appear ridiculous, which you can do very easily by um, sarcastic remarks then you avoid having to actually engage with it seriously. And for all of us, however mature we are as Christians, that can be hard, can't it? Because it's mocking the God who we believe in, and it's mocking our faith. But for someone who's young in the faith, who doesn't have the, the confidence to stand up for what they believe, it can lead them to giving up and not opting for the, the easy life. Why carry on following Jesus when it's so tough? And all you have to show for it is affliction. That's the conclusion that Asaph comes to. Have a look at verse 13. He says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. <clears throat> now we don't know exactly what all his troubles were. It could have been a physical illness. Could, sounds quite likely. could have resulted from his inner turmoil. It could have simply been the, the trials he faced every day as a believer that we know only too well. The ongoing presence of sin that we uh, have to deal with on a daily basis. And so he begins to question his faith. Why am I wasting my time living as a Christian when all I get is trouble and strife? He's in danger of forsaking God, of losing confidence in God's goodness his foot is about to slip. He's about to go crashing down the mountainside. And I wonder how many people knew about what he was going through. I wonder how many people here who, who may already be Christians are going through similar struggles. And uh, there's nothing to be ashamed about. But I would encourage you to, 
to speak to us, speak to, to Mark or myself or others. And it's not helpful to pretend everything's okay when you're going through tough times. And as a church, we need to be careful we don't create a, an atmosphere where it's not possible to struggle. And the reason why we are here is we are all self-confessed failures, aren't we? We know we're sinners. So let's never forget that it's only through the grace of God that we have the right to stand before him. Asaph is in danger of falling away. So what does he do? Well, he does what we should do. Rejoice in your present troubles. That's a very strange thing to say, isn't it? Rejoice in your present troubles. Why would anyone want to do that? Because they will help your faith grow. How much time do we spend with God when things are going badly compared to when they're going well? Asaph is struggling to make sense of his life until in verse 17, and this is the pivotal verse in the psalm, the turning point for him, this is where he says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Instead of complaining about God, Asaph turned to God and he began to get things into perspective. And the first thing he grasps is the destiny of those who choose to mock God. They are actually the ones who are on slippery ground, he's saying here. It's they who are trying to climb up a muddy slope with nothing to hang on to and are falling down into the mire at the bottom. Things may be going for them okay, okay for them at the moment, but uh, the more they trust in themselves, the further they sink into the mire. And their final destiny will be that they will be suddenly destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Yes, you can mock God now. You can appear to get away with it. But what about the day when you stand before him, before the God of the universe? Whereas Asaph turns to God, he also realizes just how little he understands compared to the vastness of God's understanding. He says in verse 21, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He realized that he was believing the lies of those around him, believing them more than God himself. He'd basically been telling God, look, you don't know what you're doing, God. I know better than you. I can, uh, I can see it all around me. Even though I'm a mere creature, I can see it. I can see what should be happening. But of course, the problem is that, unlike God, we don't see everything. We are temporal. God is eternal. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says God. We can see in three dimensions... There's no knowing how many dimensions God can see in. And Asaph realizes actually there's nothing wrong in saying, I don't understand everything, and actually I don't really need to. But I do trust in the one who does. Well, what else do we experience as we come to God, as we accept our weakness and we seek his help? Well, we, we experience his presence in verse 23. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. 
in the sanctuary, in God's presence, Asaph becomes aware of the amazing thing that he is always with him. Whatever he goes through, God is there with him. And in fact, when we go through tough times, we may have greater experience, great opportunity to experience his presence even more. He's not just with us, he, uh, he guides us. We have his guidance. You guide me, it says, with your counsel. We're directed not now according to our, our whims, but according to God's great plan, according to his all-knowing wisdom. And we have his spirit as our counsel. It's often our troubles that drive us to God to seek what it says in his word, to pray for his spirit and enlighten it for us and help us know how to respond. And that guidance, though, is not just to get through our troubles so we can carry on as we were before. That guidance is knowing God in a more deep way so that we are being prepared for glory. Because it carries on, you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Our Christian life begins with the grace of God but the ultimate goal is glory. That is the prize to which Christ calls us heavenwards. That is when the work he's begun in us will be completed. God has given us some good things to enjoy in this world. But compared to him, they are nothing. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And so if you are suffering here this morning, if you are going through troubles, you can receive assurance of your glorious destiny. You can look forward to, to meeting God. Nothing will prevent that happening, especially not death. We can even look forward to being removed from this life and being with him forever. Now we can't pretend that the journey there will be easy. There will be troubles along the way. But they will help us grow in dependence on God as we acknowledge our weakness. And so verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. By taking refuge in Christ, we have one to him. We can commit any concern, any spiritual battle that we're going through. We can cast our concerns on him and say to the devil, I don't care what you want to throw at me. I have all the strength I need in Jesus. With the strength of his spirit, we can persevere. Asaph said, my feet almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. But God gave him the strength to persevere. Although he's gone through some spiritual turmoil, Asaph comes to a clear conclusion at the end of the psalm. He says in verse 27, Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your good deeds. God doesn't want to destroy anyone. He gives us a choice to follow him. But as Asaph realizes, there is really no contest in the terms of the two choices. Why would you not want to follow God when he has so much to offer? It is good 
to be near God. And Jesus has opened up that way to, to be near him, to draw to him and be in his presence. If you are someone here this morning who has already a relationship with God through Jesus, but maybe you, f- you feel you are slipping because the, the, just the troubles, the, the burdens of this world are weighing you down, Satan is tormenting you, then come to God. Ask him for his help, that he would guide you, he would protect you, he would strengthen you, he would show you your glorious future. Maybe you're, you're a believer here this morning and um, actually you're feeling pretty okay. Life is, uh, is going well at the moment. But don't be complacent. Don't be complacent. And here's, uh, here's where the dandelion comes in. You've been waiting for all through this sermon. Here it is. What is it about a dandelion? If you ever had one of these in your lawn and tried to get them out, they're hard work, aren't they? Um, why? Because of that great big root that just goes down deep and, and takes a hold, doesn't it? There's not much on the top, but there's a deep root underneath. And that is like us. We may be battered on top. We may have the lawnmower going over us a few times, like this one. Um, but that root is going to hold us in place. And we need to go deeper. There's no limit to how far we, deep we can go as Christians in Christ. God has given us all we need. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us the church, his people. And he's given us prayer, the ability to talk to him and take everything to him. Don't neglect his graces, but use them to grow your faith and use every opportunity that life throws at you to know God more, to come to him in dependence. Let me leave you with a verse from Colossians, which will appear on the screen. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness.